In the olden days, the beasts had names. Titles, even. Their power came from coin, and as coin disappeared from their hands and into their accounts, their power grew and became more abstract. And then, within a blink, all that ether, all that imagined riches disappeared. Make no mistake, evil still lurks within the heart of man. But the monsters creeping from the dark are just as terrible, eking out from the bones of the land. You want to know my story then? You want to know what happened? Are you sure? You, sit here, drinking your ales and telling each other jokes like grievers at a funeral, and you forget you are such. And then you see me, funny face and all, and you decide you want to know my story? You jeer on, some of you paraplegic, some of you half insane from all that's happened in the past 15 years. So drunk, you wouldn't be able to recognise your own mothers. And, oh, how shall we amuse ourselves, Lawrence? The china's all broken and the offspring have no misadventures of Eton to report any more. <laughs> Quit laughing, you pig. None of this is a joke. You want to know what happened? You want to know what my tragedy is in all of this? I'll gladly tell you. But if any of you have sobered up in the past minute and are thinking, No, actually, you know what? The entire world is a pity party now, and I couldn't fucking stand another one. Get off your asses and leave now. All right. I guess there's more brave folk than I gave the world credit for left kicking. Not that'll save us. You there. Fetch me a drink. Thank you. Thank you. I hail from a place far away from here. Well, far away nowadays. I was of age when the awakening happened, and I've flown on a plane. Not two hours is the flight to here. Walking on foot, though, now that's a different story. The name of the place doesn't matter. None of the names in this story matter. What use are they to you? It was a fairly small town, and when the old gods, or the things we call with their names, woke up, we barricaded ourselves and gathered with the local authorities, whose powers of governance had already sunken in tandem with their shoulders, and discussed what to do. It didn't take us long to all agree on the fact that the sensible thing to do would be to learn how to worship these forces and learn how to do that properly, fast. Even before we received news from other places that had picked the opposite, there was not one among us who hadn't read a Greek myth or the Bible, 
or try dealing with those in the ivory towers whom we would speak of only as they. And how does one worship a god? Well, first of all, they build a special place for it. A church. Great. How could we sanction it, though? A small, old immigrant, brittle of bone but sharp of wit, spoke up. More than his exact words, I remember the light of the candles flickered around him, making his shadow dance behind him, as if chasing itself. He told us of a tradition from where he came from. People in the olden days would ensure that the foundations of a building were sturdy and strong by immuring somebody's shadow inside. Persons would even be buried alive sometimes, but he stressed that we needn't go that far. The shadow of somebody of noble spirit would do. The gods would recognise the gesture, and if they didn't, it was just a shadow, and we could figure something else out. Do you think you've guessed it, then? The grand plot twist? I assure you, you haven't. Not quite, at least. Though you're pretty close. Let me introduce myself as my townsman knew me. I was a young man, the son of two kind and passionate but very distracted teachers. As a result, I was always careless with my time, in the sense that I would give away as much of it as it was asked of me. I enjoyed helping people, and I especially enjoyed it when they clapped me on the shoulder or smiled at me and said, Thank you. Well done. In school I was the first person any teacher who wanted to get the student's attention or active participation went to, and the pastor was only too happy to see me whenever we passed each other on the street, even if I only ever went into the church to help clean it up. By the time the awakening happened, there was scarcely a person in the village who didn't owe me a favour, and my parents would frequently look at me with a proud twinkle in their eyes. No need to tell you all then. What happened as soon as the old man, whose garden I had helped him tend on many occasions, told us about the shadow? First, there was a harumph. Then a few exchange glances. Then a few people looked at me while the others chuckled among themselves. Because it was the most natural thing in the world that the next words would be, well, the lad here should do. The people who were once our councilmen shrugged. The old man was fuzzy on the details of exactly what the shadow immunement involved. So we decided that I would be at the construction process from the very beginning, just throwing shade over piles of dirt and stone. A regular human shadow, as I'm sure you're aware, cannot possibly extend over an entire building's foundation, no matter how small. But as I followed the sun's path during the day so that my outline wouldn't stray, and I watched it go from long at dawn to short at noon and long at dusk again, I felt something of the dance of the old man's shadow was doing that night, and I learned to believe his wisdom. The days passed for me as quickly as they could, considering that mostly consisted of standing still and moving every so often so that the sun would imprint my body onto a different part of the building. And then there was plenty of chat to be had, and my... 
course. How could I forget? I didn't tell you about her. Well, her then. Some of you would call her the one. Others would laugh at them for believing in such nonsense. I'm sure there's nothing I could tell either of you about her character that you haven't already heard or read in a million different stories, or describe her face in any way that won't lead you to evoke an image that used to haunt our screens, and now only barely haunts our memories. But for anybody wondering, for anyone who still properly remembers, her looks were not quite Louise Brealey, because... There was too much Millie Bobby Brown in there. At first glance, she might have seemed like a wallflower, too shy to bloom. But it was just that her temper directed her to bide her time and do so when it was worth it. She visited me nearly every day while the construction was going on. Shared with me a lunch, a joke and a smile and made the sun grow brighter. She could never stay too long. She had her own things to do, but her laughter in the air left me dazed and happy on my feet long after she was gone. And This is how I stumbled right into the, the nettle. I hadn't noticed it, and, and neither had anybody else, but it got under the end of my trouser and, and stung me like 50 needles at once as my shin hit a bit of low rock where the altar, whatever form it took, would eventually be placed. I gave a shout of surprise and everybody turned to look around and, and we suddenly saw that the plant had sprung up in all corners of the building foundation. It was pressed up to them as if hiding. As I looked more closely at the one that had stung me, one part of it where I hit my leg seemed a, a starker green than the rest of the plant. An uncanny feeling prickled my neck. The rest must have felt it as well because... The next thing we knew, that the, the old man was already here and, and looking at the plant and shaking his head in confused affirmation. This is a, a good plant where I come from, he said. It provides healing and blessing. In my mind, I, I didn't doubt him. But my length stung like hell, and it wouldn't stop. It still hasn't. following days, there was little sun to be had. Building work carried on slowly until the walls were raised at about human height. Since we didn't know how things would pan out, we decided to go for a simple construction, with plans to build a larger church later. It was getting difficult to get my shadow in the building by staying outside of its borders. So I traversed the semi-corridors under the open sky, weeding out any nettle I saw. Apprehension seized my veins any time I heard a sound coming from an empty room I'd just passed by. And the nettle never, ever fully disappeared. One day, summer clouds gathered but the air was a lecture with something not quite June. 
was somehow harder to stay on my feet, despite the fact that the sun wasn't there to assault every inch of my body, and my shadow in my tired eye looked fainter and fainter with each passing step. We ended up calling it an early day. The others tried to be subtle with their concerns, I think, with the glances they threw at each other and the whispers behind my back, and I let them believe they were. The day after I awoke with a terrible, terrible buzzing in my head, like a thousand gadflies chasing away any semblance of peace I had. The day outside shone brilliant, blinding, and I stumbled out of bed, unable to properly see anything. I don't remember how I got to the construction site that day. All I can recall is a moment that feels half real, of standing in the sun, skin melting like wax under it, catching a pair of creased eyes in the nearby wood. I shut my eyes to avoid their gaze, and the next time I opened them was to a chorus of tearful gasps. I was in my bed at home again. My mother dabbed a cool cloth to my forehead and my... She looked at me over her shoulder, offering a tentative smile. I tried to crane my neck to take a bet to look around the room and the faces of my co-workers and the other people there. But even that proved exhausting, so I shut my eyes again. What? I rasped out, then felt smooth glass press against my lips. I opened my mouth to drink the offered water, and then tried again. What is happening? A hush fell over the room. Finally, one of the leaders of the construction said, You collapsed, son. Your shadow was almost gone when we found you. Head pillowed in a bunch of nettle. It looked like like the weed was draining it out of you. Draining the life out of you. It was getting greener and greener by the second. I, I, I thought it would be enough. The old man's voice rasped as well. I didn't need to look at him to know that his eyes weren't dry. I thought they wouldn't, but... Oh. Noble hearts are in the bosom, not the shadow. They're ready to drain you whole to get to your core, boy. What shall we do? someone asked. Silence. Out, my mother said quietly, but with enough force to break a window. He needs rest. Out. I said. After a beat, a slow procession to the door began. I looked towards my love. She was watching the people file away when she caught me staring and then smiled as brightly as she ever had and whispered, Rest. I will be back. Days after the past in sleep and half-wakefulness, filled with small bites of food and sips of water. Once I gained the strength to stay awake for more than a few minutes, 
It took me weeks to go from sitting upright to walking small distances, until my mother's fretfulness receded enough that she allowed me to go outside. Before that, though, she wanted me to talk to the old man again. Ah, I see you've guessed it. A general exhaustion that started creeping into everybody who'd been working at the construction site after I'd fell. And when the older folks started collapsing on their feet soon after, and their children would take longer and longer to wake up, and the cattle started dropping dead, and the netter would infest their homes like termites. They had to figure out a solution. A noble shadow wouldn't do. They needed a noble heart. She was all too happy to provide it if it meant somebody else was saved, if I was saved. That's what I was told anyway. Who knows, though? Maybe they dragged her into it, kicking and screaming in the night, or maybe she went calmly, knowing there was no use in fighting. Who knows? My mother wouldn't look me in the eye when I asked her about it, and everything was already normal when I, for the first and last time, went out to town after my illness. I left soon after, and started wandering from place to place, searching for odd jobs to do. There's always work for people like me in times like these, when three things break for everyone fixed, and I've managed to stay alive. I still can't see right, though, all these years later. Much as they described it as a cushion of nettle, nettle isn't the type of thing that upholstery should be made from. There are things in the corner of my eye sometimes that I'm not quite certain are there. I don't actually know if any of you are left here, or, or if I'm just standing and soliloquizing alone. Is there anyone here? Anyone at all? mother. I'm sorry. It's the only way to begin. I'm sorry that this is what's left of me. I know we'd spoken of this before, but I thought a long, drawn-out goodbye would be too much for us. Following our last discussion, I did not want to leave you with the memory of further arguments. I've spoken with father too, right before I left. Don't worry. He made sure that my pack was full of food, warm clothes, things to trade. I've even left a bit of my savings in the milk jug, so you can pay the mage to find me, if it's urgent. But I'm heading to the new city on the coast. 
The merchant said there's a decent place to stay, right on the outskirts. It's called the Bright Helm. It's supposed to be safe. I'm sorry. I know that you wanted me to stay, even if you didn't say so. I know that you can't come and visit. Father can't take care of the animals by himself. But I couldn't stay there any more. Not to say that family is worse than the beasts stalking in the wild, but, well, I just had to know what was out there. I know it's a bad idea. I know I'm probably going to get hurt. Which is a little strange. It feels like stepping into the fighting ring, opposite the largest warrior in the village, knowing you're going to be down within the first minute, and raising your sword anyway. I know there's a job for me here, if I want it. I know there's a bed for me too. But I can read and rat, and fat, and like all those stories you told me, I have to go, I have to see what's out there, I have to figure out who I am, when I'm by myself, I hope you like them, I hope you're proud of them, whoever they are, give my love to Daisy, let me know how our milk fares, if you're not too angry, I hope to find your letter waiting for me at Bright Helm. All my love, your firstborn. My dear child, knowing you, the first thing you will do is note the date at which this was written. Three days following your departure. I can only apologise for how long this took me to write, and how strongly I hope this reaches the tavern prior to your arrival. I also give my apologies for the inevitable tear stains on the parchment, Whilst I hope they inspire some small pangs of guilt, I do also hope said guilt is not too overwhelming. As reluctant as I am to admit, you are, in fact, right. I had hoped you would continue our work here, however, I know that your ambitions have always existed beyond the horizon of home. I know that your grandmother did the same. When the old world died, she was halfway across our land. She found a family here, after she lost contact with her parents. I am unlike either of you. My entire life, I have toiled, I have loved, but I could not leave. The unknown fills my heart with fear. I lived with my parents until I met your father, and then he and you became my life. I have never known what it is to only care for yourself. Of course, that may sound harsh, but it is laced with the bitterness of my own jealousy. Not of the opportunities I've afforded you. You know I would give you the sun and stars if I possessed them. Rather, jealousy of your bravery, of your youth, of your ability to be selfish. What a wonderful gift. I know that you have much to share with the world. I cannot wait to see what you bring into it. My love, always, your mother. My child, I apologise if my previous letter was harshly worded in any way. I did not mean to rouse your anger or sadness with my words. A week since your projected arrival and I am yet to receive any letter. I understand that my own response to your original letter took a while to compose, 
However, I am a little put out it would have taken you so long to reply. Please do so as soon as you receive this. All my love, your mother. Child, if this is some blatant attempt to cut ties in order to start some kind of new life, I understand. I am, of course, devastated and furious, but you are apparently an adult and must grow your own existence as one tends a precious flower. I merely request that you respond and put an end to all this worry. I will move on, as you apparently have. Regards, Mother. Ma'am, I am writing to you after discovering your address from the messenger. I regret to inform you that whomever these letters have been addressed to has not arrived at my place of establishment. I am unsure if you have received the wrong address, if they have travelled elsewhere, or if they have perished during their journey. If the latter is the case, then I am truly sorry to share this news with you. Your letters and packages should be returned with this reply. I wish you the best. Quid Pro Quo was directed by Stasi Dimitrova. The speaker was played by Adam Powell. It was a Mount Pleasant and Better Pictures production. Epistolary was directed by Amelia Chisholm. The child was played by Liv Powell. The mother was played by Eleanor Webster. The innkeeper was played by Adam Powell. Our theme music was supplied by Chloe Elliott. It was a Mount Pleasant and Better Pictures production. You can support Bones of the Land by following us on Twitter at Bones of the Land.